Welcome to the Inside Edge here on 97.1 The Fan. Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley with you one more time as we wrap up this Blue Jackets 2021-2022 season, a season that came to an end with uh, two games that the Blue Jackets actually they did play well. Even that last one in Pittsburgh, they lost it 5-3. to three. They gave up three goals very early in the game. Before there were seven minutes gone, they were down 3 nothing. But they came back, they battled, and Jody, that came on the heels of that great win at home over Tampa. But even the last game, it really showed the character of what this team has been all year. Never give up, always be in it, fight until the very last horn. Yeah, and you know, you see all the comeback uh, victories, the amount of games they had full of excitement, especially at Nationwide Arena. Yeah, you're out of the playoffs for the last 30 days, and you know it, and and there was uh, no excuse. You know, they had a bad start in Pittsburgh, and you know between the second and third, the dialogue was, hey, we go out. And we give our best here. And, and that's all you can ask. Injury depleted roster. Um, a lot of young players play, finishing their first year in the National Hockey League. A lot of players that, you know, on average, are probably averaging 20 games a season coming into this. So inexperience in that. And then you got the Pittsburgh Penguins that are just getting charged up for playoffs at home. Uh, it's been a tough building to win in for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But all in all, you know, you look at the season and, and how things happen, and here we sit. And uh, that, that season just kind of rolled right through everyone. And it was, um, it was one of, um, you know, it was, it was normal at times. Uh, there were some, some things that were really condensed and quick coming at times, which, you know, even as broadcasters, we found uh, a bit of a struggle. But imagine the players in those situations, you know, battling every single night. So, so impressive what they did. Impressed with the National Hockey League, how the last three seasons, they, you know, the two seasons prior, they they patched them through to make sure that they got playoffs and got the season done, and even this year to adjust and adapt and be ready for whatever was coming at them. Um, you stand here today as, as uh, the playoffs started just a couple days ago, and, and, and you think, yeah, this is, a, this is a team that did a lot of great things, but a team that's headed in the right direction. Yeah, and speaking of that, we'll get a full breakdown on that uh, coming up here in just a couple of minutes when President of Hockey Operations John Davidson joins us to uh, really put all of that into perspective. But let's go back to prior to the start of the year. Let's go back to last summer with Seth Jones saying that he didn't want to be here, and then they pulled the trade with Chicago. You know, outside of here, the pundits thought the Blue Jackets would be the worst in the Metropolitan Division, maybe in the East at the time. And we had conversations about this. We didn't believe that because – we are fortunate enough to know the individuals, a lot of them that were still left in that room. And right from the very outset, I know that we both agreed that they may not make the playoffs, but they're not going to be as bad as people were saying that they're going to be. And when you look at it, it's a pseudo 500 record that they finished with. That was absolutely spot on. But it's the guys like Boone Jenner, Gus Nyquist, Zach Wierenski, Oliver Bjorkstrand. It's the guys in the leadership group that made sure that that's the way they actually finished. Yeah, and, and you look at the... You look at the first-year head coach who comes in here understanding what worked with the Columbus Blue Jackets and how they had to play and and what felt right about the standard in the locker room. And he really emphasized that from day one in training camp and made sure that all those points uh, stayed true and he held them true to everyone. And and then, you know, the players that have been here, like Boone Jenner, like Zach Wierenski, they – expected and enjoyed that type of locker room they enjoyed that all the nonsense was taken care of and you show up as a pro and you do your work then you go home and and take care of your home life and then you get ready for the next day so the responsibility of being a teammate as a blue jacket I think was outlined very clearly and I think the the carryover and elevation yes you have to hand it to Gavrikov who you know is a young player but came in and and 
understood what he was and understood what it was each night to be that effective, hardworking player. So Gus Nyquist missed the entire season last year. He's a guy who wore the letter because of his, you know, his character, his personality, his experience, but also emphasizing and, and really elevating what this team's about. So a lot of bright spots. And, and there's a lot of organizations, I think, Bob, that work to get to this place but have a player or two that can mess it up or a player or two that's on their own page or uh, you know, a situation or a couple players that click uh, in their own, want to have their own ideas. They don't have that here with this young group. And, and I think that's been the impressive thing is you know, how they interact with each other. We hear about it all the time. Oh, it's a great group. It's a great room. Oh, they get along so well. Find me an NHL room that's not going to say that, but we've seen it. We believe it, and, and it, these are a young group with great leadership. To me, uh, Boone Jenner, if he's leading the way, he draws everyone in and makes everyone better and includes every single person, every single role in that team and, or in that group, and that's what makes a good team, and I think he's been the head along with Larson. Speaking of Brad Larson, I wanted to take you back there because when he was named as the head coach, let's be completely honest about it, there that wasn't necessarily a popular decision amongst the fan base here. But I think the fact that we are looking at this at the end of the year and not saying anything about the coaching staff, unless it's positive, that tells you all that you need to know. He was with John Tortorella for six years. You mentioned it. He saw what worked. He knew the things that he had to keep in place, and he kept all of those things in place. He made tweaks. He does things differently than Torts did to get the most out of players, and that was fine. But the bottom line is the basics stayed the same, and who coached this team is a zero issue because those guys just did a really good job. Yeah, you know what? That, that's that's a really good point. And, and you think about that as a coach coming in, you know, the biggest thing you would question is how is he going to communicate with these guys? Because he was just the assistant coach, which is more of a friendly uh, – it's a relationship thing. You know, you, you build their trust. They tell you things that the uh, head coach isn't going to hear. You iron out or collect the, the marbles off the floor after the head coach has just come in and fired them down, and you pick up the pieces sometimes. So now you have to back out of that role a little bit and then step into a new role where if you change too much – the players are like, ah, oh, who's this guy? You know, this is, I know you as this, and now you're this. So he had a bit of a balancing act in that regard to be, A, still have that trust and relationship, but also be authoritative, authoritative in the way that, you know, it's like, okay, no, you can't do it this way. This is, has to happen, or you're not going to be able to do this. And, and you know, that's they're, they're, it gets a little complex at times, but I think his advantage was he had a young group. And he didn't have too many grizzled veterans set in their way where they weren't ready for this challenge of a new coach. And, and, and they were ready for a new coach, you know, and, and, and that has been to his advantage, too. So I love the way he impl- implemented his training camp right away, um, got them to be a hardworking team, uh, expected them to be in great shape again. Uh, but I think it's like uh, the John Tortorella, but the modernized John Tortorella. And I think that's why you have to tip your hat to Brad Larson because he took notes. What worked, what didn't. He saw relationships. What worked, what didn't. He he uh, he probably he probably looked at situations with Torts and said, okay, that's how he handled it. I think if he would have handled it this way, he might have got this out of this player because I know him on this level. And then he wrote those things down and used them this year. So uh, that's impressive too. And the one grizzled veteran that he got came in from the outside, and that was Jake Voracek. And by getting him, what he actually got was, in some ways, a player coach on the ice, especially when it came to the power play. We talked about that all year long. Jake had that great experience where he could come in and make the young players that he was with better. 
So even uh, when you do get that veteran guy that might be set in his ways, it was a good fit because it was a guy coming back to a place where he started, where he wanted to be, and he wanted to help. Yeah, a competitive guy who learned a lot in a decade in, in Philadelphia. I was there with Jake, uh, you know, when he came over for Columbus, and, you know, he, he was a young guy who just wanted to have a good time and, and let everything happen, but he turned into a very competitive player. Um, in the regard of he, he demanded the puck, he demanded from his teammates, he wasn't afraid to call guys out, uh, and he brought that here. And, and, you know, you could see the patience with him. At ice level between the benches at home games, I could see him a little frustrated with a line mate or two in a play that he'd made or, or a play they didn't make. And, but he would just kind of sit there and, like, you know, let it, let it kind of air out and, and understand that it's a good player. Uh, try, he tried to make the play. It didn't happen. Uh, that's just part of what you're a part of. And, and you could see that. That, that take from Jake and, and um, you know I like I like the uh, the Reg Reg Dunlop uh, comparison. He's not quite the age, but you know it's important for a coach too to have that patch that 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 kind of vocal alleyway to the players and what they're thinking because you know Jake pulled so much weight in the locker room. Um, so there's some things where you need that in your favor, and I think Jake was so good for not only the players but for Brad Larson and his staff. Yeah, no question about that. So let's get a further breakdown on the Blue Jackets. We'll dive right into it. John Davidson returned prior to this season as the president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets. He left for a short time. He went to the New York Rangers. Didn't work out there. He comes back, and we're going to find out from him where he thinks this team is. Are they where they thought they would be? Are they ahead of the curve, and how close are they to getting back to the playoffs? Those questions will be asked, they'll be answered, and much, much more as the Inside Edge continues here on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge, the season wrap-up edition here. Bob McElligot, Jody Shelley with you, and today we're very pleased to be joined by the president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets. John Davidson is with us right now. J.D., we'll talk all about this team and what uh, Yarmo and his staff has put together uh, with you. But I, I want to talk to you first about you and what this season was like for you. I mean, first of all, it was 82 games. That was great. First time in a while <laughs> there have been 82 games. But it was also uh, a season where you're you're trying to navigate through. Um, you know, you have guys going down sick. You're trying not to get sick yourself, all of these things with the travel. What was this season like for you personally? I, I think once the season's over, you look at it and you try to – you try to realize where you were going into the season and you try to realize where you are coming out of the season. And most of that is on the plus side of the ledger, but it was an aggravating season just with the idea of COVID, the idea of every day you pick up your phone and you see if our staff has sent you a text regarding, Oh, this guy's got COVID. This coach has COVID. This trainer's got COVID. And you had to deal with it, and you almost became numb to it after a while, but still you want normalcy. So that's something I look forward to for next season is a regular Traverse City tournament for us, a regular training camp for us, and then get into the season and go. Um, so that that's exciting. I think when you, when you think of a season, you always want to be able to take your hat off and hang it on something when the season's over especially if you don't make the playoffs. And I think we did that. There's there's quite a few good things that have happened here. Finishing up our exit meetings, and I don't mean to ramble here, but fixing uh, finishing up our exit meetings, the response was good from the players, real good. And um, talked about the culture of the, of the room itself with all the players and things, and very good. So that's and, – and being an ex-player, Jody, you were an ex-player. If the room's not cohesive – 
that's an issue. That's where you start to struggle with your leadership and things like that. And uh, it's in a good place right now. So that in itself means something. And then we'll work through the younger players and what they've learned, et cetera, whether it's star players or, or role players. There's a lot of things to hang the hat on. Yeah, when you're talking about COVID, you always say there's curveballs in the season. Yeah. It was like you were throw, you were facing a pitcher that doesn't throw anything <laughs> yeah. but curveballs this year. Oh, Phil Necro, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knuckleballs, that's there right, just floating on yeah. you, swing and miss every other day. Um, how how similar is it now that you've gone through this season? If you go back to the first go-around that you had here and when you came in, you went through that first season, are you in a similar spot right now? or How, how do you feel that no. it is when, when you talk about the building blocks? No, I think we're ahead of it. I really do. Um I know it was basically a 500 season, but what you need are assets and you need to know with your game plan of how you're trying to get to where you're trying to get to. And you have to really understand what your, what your deficiencies are. Of course, I think they're pretty well defined. Um, just the idea of, of seeing Kent Johnson come in a fly, finding a Blankenberg who knows where that's going, but so far so good to see a Chinakov get a year under his belt, and he's just a young guy. He's whole new lifestyle here, learning the language, whole new way of living, and a whole new way of playing the game because, first of all, it's the best league in the world on a smaller ice surface compared to what he's used to. So he's gone through that. To see a goaltender like Tarasov come in and have his opportunity and, and unfortunately had the hip issue, but that guy was good when he played. So... You know, you think of goaltending and you think of the future and, and where it is now when Elvis came on and he got through the end of the season with all those games he was uh, he was told to play, and it was new for him. And I thought he ended up battling through it and got better as as, uh, as the season expired. But, uh, but, but all these things put us in a position where we were the youngest team in the league along with New Jersey, yet we did pretty well in a lot of ways, and then – to see a guy like Lion A start to come and to hear that he really likes Columbus, wants to be here, doesn't doesn't want to pull a, pull a shoot and move out. He wants to stay here. So that's something that's up to us to get that taken care of. So experience, we, we had a lot of guys hurt. I thought a part of the season turned in a negative way when Boone Jenner got hurt because he was so valuable for us in, in many different ways. But... Um, I think the makings are there for a real good foundation. Two first rounders this year, unless there's a deal made. But uh, but things are things are in a good spot compared to where it was uh, about eight years ago. Do you think that you're ahead of where you thought you would be at the end of this year? When you guys talked yeah, prior well, to the season, are you ahead of that? I I think we're ahead of it myself because myself coming back here from New York after uh, in New York. Um, I wasn't quite sure where we were going to be. And I know that this team had gone all in on a lot of different things when I was here too. And then, so we missed some drafts and didn't have the picks, et cetera. But uh, when, when Yarmo and the staff made the deals and, and David Savard for a first rounder, Nick Felino for a first rounder, the Seth Jones trade was kind of forced, but another, you know, a couple of firsts, it just starts to add up quickly. So I thought they, I think they've done a good job in recovery and, uh, and uh, I think that Lars, Brad Larson, and the staff uh, had a good year, a real good year. And the way you can sense that is Yarmo has a good relationship talking to them all the time. We all do. And you can see where you are and you sense things. And then you have your player exit meetings. And it was they were very much in the corner of Brad Larson and the coaching staff. So we're in a good place there.
Our guest is head of hockey operations, John Davidson, and uh, thanks for joining us, JD. Yeah. I, I want to go back a little bit here, just because it's a it's a unique perspective that you have. You hired a rookie general manager who was ready for the job when you were here first, but your role seemed to be a little bit different because that's a bit of a risk involved with that in an organization that ha- is trying to make a move. And then you go to New York, and I know you keep an eye on former teams, you know, oh, yeah. like St. Louis and Columbus. Yeah. I know your heart was, you know, there's still something special here for you. And then you come back, and this is not down the road, but, you know, there's been some things done, and you can see how established Yarmo is and where the organization's at. For you now to be the president of hockey operations in at this time, uh, as previous, like, it's different than before, is this a more enjoyable? Can can you stand back a little bit and see the the you know the the big picture from above, whereas the, they're more in the right in the grind? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, oh yeah, sure. I think Yarmo's got a lot of experience now. I think when I, I mean, when I hear Yarmo talk to the media and and express himself in our meetings, he's he's been around the block. He's very mature and and thinks his way through. I do like the patience Yarmo uh, that Yarmo has, the patience level. Um, he's got more patience than I do. I know that, which is a good thing for him, <laughs> thankfully. <Yeah. laughs> uh, and uh, and I also think that um, Yarmo, when you see the, the record, he's not afraid to make big deals either, obviously. So uh, he also is a guy that he's he's got his staff and he uses every one of them. It's, it's, he's, he's the boss, and he often laughs and says uh, it is a dictatorship. But that dictator that he is is open-minded to listening to everybody because he trusts people that work for him. Myself, I um, I, I like to uh, chime in on things. I like to listen to things. I want to be in the know all the time. But uh, certainly I think Yarmo's very independent, and, uh, and uh, he, I'm not going to get in his way. He may ask for an idea, and I'll give my idea. But uh, I, I think we're all in a good place with that. Standing back, yeah, I guess a little bit, but and not being as visible for sure. But in turn, I think I can be helpful and and work with him because we all work together. But I, uh, you know, I'm the guy that hired Yarmo, and uh, a lot of people kind of went, "Hmm, that's interesting." Here's the guy that's a Finn that's over in Finland, but the people didn't know that he'd have half of his hockey life over here, more than half, that he played in the NHL, that he's uh, he's run organizations where he's the head of amateur scouting. Many people, including John Tortorella, have told me that Yarmo is one of the best evaluators of talent that he's ever seen. So that's a strength. And so I think it's worked out. And uh, he also has a, a huge affinity for Columbus and the Blue Jackets and wants to be here, wants to win here, and it's up to us to get it done. Yeah, I just asked that because it's like any business where the president hires somebody and goes out and says, this is the guy. And it takes him time to get there, and you know you got you got to make sure with your experience in hockey operations and and at this level that he gets there. Yeah, yeah. I I think he's I think he's in a good spot. He feels comfortable about talking about rules around the league and having an input there. He's he's uh, he's, he's cognizant of the organization where you know the hockey side has to be um, open minded and try to help the business side. When he's very open to that, fresh ideas, new ideas whether it's cameras in the locker room or whatever it is, he's, he's, he's good that way. Um, yeah, I, I think that he's in a good place. I really do. And as far as myself goes, um, I'm very happy to be back. I have a, have a 
uh, I mean, the Blue Jackets mean something to me, a whole lot to me, actually. Uh, maybe because of what we went through when we tried to to get this thing going when I first got here, it, it took a lot of work. And uh, I feel better about it even this time around because I think we're closer than we were then. But I, And I want to be a part of it, but I know my space. And then you have to let people... It's like when you raise children, you know, you got to let the kids spring, uh, the, the, get the wings out, right, and let them go and do their thing, and I just want to be a part of that. You know, it's fascinating to see the culture you guys created when you first got here. It took time, and now it's expected to have the effort yeah. and the attitude and the respect, and it kind of resembles the city we're in. Absolutely. We were talking about that today. But I will go back, and when we when we tried to get this culture to where we needed it as a team – I think Torts had a lot to do with that. Um, I think that we knew Boone Jenner would be ca- uh, would uh, eventually be captain. We weren't sure about a captain in the meantime. We had a lot of discussions about Nick Foligno, who really did a good job. But that whole thing was was slow in 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 getting there. But you can't force something and make mistakes; otherwise, you're starting over again. And I thought that Torts did a great job in that respect. And uh, that's set a standard in some ways. And Lars and the staff have worked uh, with the players, and I really like uh, where Boone Jenner is as far as the team captain goes, along with the support of the uh, of the leadership group. What's interesting, too, is leadership group-wise, um, they added, a, like, uh, Gavrikov got into that as the season moved along. So there's there's just not two or three guys. they they got a lot of guys, yeah. and that's good. I mean, we just have to continue to grow as an organization as management improve the team as best we can, but the the foundation culturally with leadership from players who understand it's their room, they can they can fix their room. I think they've done a good job. And and when I look at this season, JD, we, there was a lot of unknowns. I don't know if yeah. there was one certainty coming in. It's even the leadership group, sure. you know. Yeah, yeah. Co- first year coach, yeah. Jake yeah. Voracek comes here. What's yeah. that going to be like? Yeah. Um, were you impressed with the, uh, most areas that, that, that yeah. you've seen? You know, it's kind of interesting. We can sit here and say all these good things, but we missed the playoffs. Yeah. You know? But but the point is that you have to fix things before you get into the playoffs or make sure things are the way you want them to be. And uh, you're right. There was all kinds of new faces. There was players – take a player like Patrick Lyonet, um, who didn't look comfortable here last year from what I saw. But then when you try to look at the whole thing, even – you know, there's this whole COVID thing. You, you just you couldn't really do what you wanted to do. Another unknown, to, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I really think in a relatively short period of time, you have Patrick Liney telling us how much he likes it here. We saw him go on a run. That was fun. He was, when he went on a run here and the fans, you could feel it in the building. When he got the puck and started to go, you could just almost feel people starting to go, ooh, here we go, or get out of their seats. Things like that. And uh, another unknown would be Zach Wierenski without Seth Jones. And I think he uh, he, he he wanted that. It, not that he didn't want Jonesy here. He loves Jonesy. But the point is he wanted the opportunity to prove that he could be a guy that's a leader and not have to lean on somebody else, even though it's a team sport. He did that. All kind of uh, Sillinger's mm, young guy, 18 years old. Can he be here? I don't know. My goodness. he uh, This kid just loves <laughs> hockey and he loves being here and he's going to spend a lot of time here. He's going to be a guy that's going to grow up as a blue jacket with blue jacket blood. And don't you love that? All love kinds it. of things. So I think all those um, question marks, and there was probably a dozen at least, 
they basically have fallen right into place. You know what's interesting is, is we talk about we talk to fans. You talk to fans in public. Bob does too. And you know, the playoff thing. Okay, yeah. you know, you mentioned that we didn't make the playoffs. And and you know, I, I look at this conversation and I think it's one thing to make the playoffs and lose out in the first round. But now there's a way to build it, and you guys seem yeah. to be doing that. You want to win a Stanley Cup, yeah. and I know it takes a, a round or two to learn how things work with a young group. But you know, coming into the season. I know we want to say this team was going to make the playoffs, but those expectations, I don't think they were there on the inside. No, I know that, yeah. You know, yeah, and we, so we look at this and it's like, are you building for that? You're building for the Stanley Cup. So this is, you know, it's a balance, right? Because, of yeah. course, the playoff is the revenue. It's the, it's where you learn and it's where the players get that, that buzz. and that. But right now, um, missing this season, do you feel in that locker room that the playoffs – is something that you're shooting for this off season, or is it more Stanley Cup? It, it's it's both. Yeah, you know, I'd love to get us into the playoffs or be part of the team going into the playoffs next year because, as you mentioned, the experience level that you get. I'll go back to my first year as a player in St. Louis. Made the playoffs, played Pittsburgh, got beat, and it was a tough experience. Um, but the next time I was in the playoffs, I knew what to expect. I really knew what to expect. It was a whole different world. Yeah. So to have that come along, especially with your younger players, it's a good thing. But you have to build a team, or at least we are. Our concept is we're not going to just build it to get in and see what happens. We want to be part of building this thing so when the window opens, it's there for a while. So if you do, if it, when it opens and it's there for a while, if you go through getting knocked out in the first round, whatever it is, um, it's going to really help you going forward from there. When we made the playoffs here before, when I was here before, it was tough because we, if we lost to Pittsburgh, they went and won the cup. Yeah. We had Washington down two games. We've it, it 1,900, it seemed like a 1,000 goalposts. We ended up losing to them. They went on and won the cup. Yeah. So uh, we lost to Boston. They they uh, they got beaten seven games in the Stanley Cup final at home to St. Louis. Was that the year you think you could have taken a run with this yeah. team? Yeah. Yeah, even the year when we lost to Washington, I thought, you know, we're 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 a pretty good team here. We we've got the size and we're going to battle. And we had them down two games. Um, came home here and they started Holtby and goal. And he had a very fortunate night because we hit five or six or seven goalposts and crossbars. We could have easily gone up three nothing, but it didn't happen. And they scored an overtime on a fluke goal that went off a knee or a, a shin pad or something. You know, I talked to Barry Trotz about that. He says, you know, he said, we send our guys to the net on the on the weak side away from the puck because I just fire the puck over there. Something good could happen. That's how hard it was to score. Sure enough, it happened. And uh, we went down in that game and ended up losing the series. But uh, I want to get our window open where it's open for a good amount of time with a, with a, with a good group that is, is going to just get ready to go again and again and again. You just mentioned the word size, and I've got to ask you. You have so many young and talented players on this team. We saw Cole Sillinger get knocked around a couple of times this year. Kent Johnson, I know he's going to be bigger by training camp, yeah. but he comes in here at like That's 165 right. pounds. Um, where is toughness in the game for you today? It's not what it was years ago. We all know that, but where is the importance of having somebody that at least can keep other yeah. teams accountable? Because you've got two teams within the division at least that have that. I think it's coming back more than it had been in the last few years. And we're starting to see it around the league quite a bit. And I think that's something that we're going to look to address. I think team toughness is, uh, 
it breaks down to different categories. You might have one or two great big guys that, you know, can, can sense that they've got to do something during a game. Uh, you could also um, get a guy or two that will neutralize what could be stuff that could happen. I've seen that happen this year with certain teams in the league where they've gotten some uh, some some toughness and all of a sudden the other team doesn't do what they used to do by by a mile. So I think we realize that. We realize that our young players need to be protected for sure. Um, I also think that you need grit throughout your lineup, not necessarily guys that are going to fight, the guys that have some, uh, have some compete in them, real serious, good compete all the time. You know, I go back to that game in Minnesota a lot of people talked about. They tried to run us in the first period, and uh, they were big, and they did run, and that's when Zach got hit by Middleton. We took them to overtime in that game and lost because our guys started to show some grit as the game went on, and they were they were content with running us, and we were content with trying to win a game. We damn near did in their building. So I think we do have intestinal fortitude, but I think we do need some, uh, some, some guys that uh, – are going to be bigger to help that help us. And the way it's changed is you got to be able yeah. to play now. Yeah. I mean, oh, back yeah. in your day, you could just have a guy that, hey, well, we might we might play you two shifts, and you you're going to fight yeah. one of them. What, what it's interesting. Yeah, what do you 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 study this uh, as much as I do. Do you, do you really want just the big guys to go fight the big guys like it used to be at one time, or do you want to have enough in your in your lineup that the other team is not going to try to intimidate you? So there's there's a fine line and a balance there that you have to look at. Um, it, it's interesting. I do think that the league, one reason is the, the, the big guy or the big defenseman or whomever is becoming prominent again is, is, is they're not just big and slow on pylons. They can play. They can play. And you have to have that. So that, that's kind of where I am. Yeah, I'd rather be in a room that, and I think all of our rooms back when I played, when you played, you always stuck up for each other. It didn't yes. matter who you were. It was, and, and when you came to the locker room and the guy who stuck up for you had a, a black guy and you looked at him, you thought, wow, this is, yeah. this is awesome. You know, those are the, so it, it is a balance and, and it is, it, it, you got to go back to, you know, European hockey, college hockey, and even in major junior now, yeah. everything is limited as far as, as fighting, but you can find, I think those guys that, yeah. Will hit and stick up, and I think everyone's looking for him. JD, yeah, you look at Tampa winning last year. The third line they had, yeah. they, they were pretty aggressive. Islanders for years, the Clutterbuck and uh, Sizikas okay. and uh, Martin line for years. You know, and 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 some guys aren't fighters, but they finish checks hard and they do this and they do that and they make it hard to play against. If your team can be a, a team that's a good hockey club that's hard to play against. You're in a pretty good place. So, but we we know that we, you can't go into a season and just improve everything in one year. It just doesn't happen. And so, uh, you know, I know we got two first rounders so far this year too. So we're gonna have more young guys, and we got young guys coming from Europe. We got it's young, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you want to give them every opportunity to succeed. Last thing I have for you, it is about the draft you just talked about. It's funny how the draft works. Like two years ago, people go, you know what draft's going to be really good? 2022, yeah. that's a really good one. And then the last couple of months ago, you know what draft's going to be really good? The 2023 draft. I mean, the, the, the experts are always all over the place. Um, look, the draft lottery's going to happen here soon. And, and if uh, Chicago gets number one or number two, then their pick, they get to make, and you have to wait until next year. Is there a preference that you guys have? No, I – if if it goes to next year, the one thing about it is if they uh, 
if they have a tough year, we and it's one or two again, we, we get it. This yeah. Year we don't. So that's one thing to look at. I think my own opinion on the draft is when they say it's not a great draft, I think what that means is the very front end of the draft, there's not superstars, but there's always players. There's always good hockey players. I watch Team USA at the under-18, uh, along with other teams. And there's some good hockey players that are going to be drafted. They're going to be great NHLers. So so we have to be ready for the draft and see what happens. And if it's next year, it's next year. My 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 concept is try to get them. Because so, the sooner you get them, the sooner you start working with them. The sooner you start uh, grooming them to be NHL players. So we'll just see where it goes. We have no control over it. But... Uh, but we're we're in a pretty good place. A few more cylinders. Kent Johnson's wouldn't hurt, would it? No, it Maybe would be a great. Of great big defenseman wouldn't hurt either. <laughs> I got one more for you. Just about yeah. the playoffs. Hundred points to make it in the East. Is yeah. this a one off, or are you guys going to the off season now thinking this this is how it's going to? I'm be? going to the off season thinking about how we're going to be a whole lot better, and uh, and that's just all there is to it. Uh, this year was an interesting year. The the amount of goal scoring in the league shot up. I mean, look what we did. This was something else. But our goal is against. I, I, the, no, no way. We can't do this again. No, the formula is still we'll the have, same, right? Doesn't yeah, matter what. Yeah, they... We'll have no chance if we're, we're if we give up the same amount of goals. It's impossible. So that's that's what I look at more than anything. There's going to be teams that are going to continue to be good. There's going to be some that get older and slip a little. A little. There's going to be some that are young that are going to come up like us, hopefully. And uh, th- that's where it is. I uh, I know that for the most of the for good portions of the season we were we did well i liked our home ice play a lot and some I of the best that, games you play yeah, right here yeah and fans appreciated it i thought it was a blast i really 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 enjoyed it the way we came back but we know we have deficiencies and i think probably the number one is the goals against as a team you can't say it was goaltending or or if it was this or if it was that i think it's a an accumulation of everything and that's got to improve I talked to Jake Vorchek a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the playoffs in the East. I thought he made a good point. He said with uh, Montreal being as bad as they yeah. were throughout the year, Philadelphia being as bad as they were, like there were teams that those were guaranteed the, the wins up where on, normally yeah. those would balance out a little bit more. Yeah, I've always looked at that as uh, which division in the league is, is the weakest because that's where you get your points for sure. No, that, he made sense there. He really did. Um yeah, Jack or Jake, he's not shy, right? <laughs> no, he's <laughs> he can do it he's all. Something else, you yeah. gotta love the guy. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, it, we got to fix the goals against. We just do, otherwise we don't have a chance. Yeah. JD, thank you okay. so much. We appreciate Thanks, it very much. John Davidson, he is the president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets as they head into the off season to work on that goals against and get this team back into the playoffs. More of the inside edge right after this on ninety-seven point one, the fan. Welcome back to the final edition of the Inside Edge for the 2021-22 Blue Jackets season. Bob McElligot and Jody Shelley with you. Great talk with uh, John Davidson to break down what the hockey operations department feels that this team looks like and what they have to do. Jody, uh, there's a guy that we haven't seen in a couple of months, and Alexander Texier, we found out a few days ago, he is going to play hockey for France in the World Championships that's a good sign, right? I mean, he hasn't been with the Blue Jackets since he got injured. He had some family issues. Getting him back on the ice will be a good thing. Yeah, I think this is a big step. I mean, this is a guy we haven't seen for a while. We lost him with a wrist injury. He went home with personal, uh, you're right, family uh, things he had to deal with. And we wish him the best. We haven't heard a word on Texier. But this is a positive because, A, he's close to home. 
Uh, he's able to play hockey for and represent his country. And maybe these are the steps he needs to take to get ready for next season and come back here and have that impact he had with the Columbus Blue Jackets when he left. Well, the Stanley Cup playoffs are going on. We know that. And there have already been some uh, very intriguing games in the first couple of uh, games that have been played. Everybody's played one game now in the playoffs. And we've seen some really good matchups. Tomorrow, if you happen to be, uh, or not tomorrow, but actually what, what, what day are you working? Oh, Friday. Friday, Friday Sunday. Okay. Friday and Sunday, you'll be able to find Jody on TNT. He'll be working the St. Louis Blues Minnesota Wild Series. Jean-Luc Grandpierre is going to be working that series with him as well. So first of all, congratulations to you guys. It's really exciting. Second of all, man, you're going in. I don't know what's going to happen there uh, in game two, but uh, you're going into a pretty good series there with a lot of animosity. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because – you know, we're going to go into a series that's already started. ESPN got game one and two for all these series, it looks like. And, you know, the, the storylines are set. The, uh, you know, going into tonight's game, it starts at 930. We'll be watching that after the show. And, and, you know, you look at the Wild, they're at home and they play with a lot of emotion at home. And it, it caught them a little bit because they spent too much time in the penalty box. Uh, they ran into a good goalie in Huso. And this is one of those series where the people, the teams in this series hate the format of the playoffs because they're two very good teams that face in the first round. And that's just the drama of it. So uh, it's like a, it's like a major car crash. These two teams are both big physical, uh, but an exciting series to cover. Yeah. John Luke and I are really excited to get in there with uh, Jim Jackson of the flyers and, uh, and call this one. Yeah. I'm jealous. Jim Jackson is one of the great guys in this league yeah. as a play-by-play guy. So I hope you guys have a good time. Again, Jody and John Luke will work games three and four of that series between the Blues and the Wild. Uh, let's look at the other series in the West. Oilers in the Kings. The Kings uh, shocked them by winning the first game in that. Uh, can the Kings win that series? They can. And, and you know, the pressure's on the Oilers. And, and the Kings, what a quiet but fantastic season in the West. Uh, they're a team that, Everyone thinks is a, a couple of years away, which they probably are, but their goaltender, Jonathan Quick, has found life. Drew Doughty's out. I mean, he's their number one D. That, that's a big deal with all the minutes that he would play and all the situations and how he leads the team. But it shows you how they've quietly restocked things in L.A. And Kempe has come on the scene. Uh, they've got two great centers that can defend against Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl, and that's in Deneau and Kopitar. And that's driving their team, plus the way their D are, are playing aggressive and, and, and different players are stepping up. So that series to me is, is all extras for the LA Kings, and I think that's the good spot. Plus the goaltending of the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Mike Smith hasn't won in 15 playoff games or something like that. He coughed one up the other night. You know, playing the puck is great until it doesn't work out, and he gave one away. So. You know, these are the storylines, the fine lines of the playoffs, and it sure misses us. It sure makes us miss being in that playoff series, isn't it? Being in that emotion. Absolutely. Uh, Predators <laughs> lose UC Soros right at the end of the regular season. Boy, did that oh, uh, boy. turn out to be a huge blow. Colorado blows them out in game one last night, 7-2. Uh, to two. It, It's just not a good mix without him. Big save, Dave Riddick had a tough start, and, and and that's not a situation you want any goalie that doesn't have confidence in. And right away, I mean, two quick goals. Of course, Nate McKinnon gets one early, and then it's followed up with another one, and, and you can feel it in, in Denver. Expectations are high. That team made great acquisitions at the deadline to get a little bit tougher. They've got mobile D, high-end forwards at the 
prime of their career. And uh, it doesn't really matter who it is, but at least a go another goaltender would put up a fight. Uh, and you could just tell last night, Nashville couldn't get their game going. They want to play physical. They want to play in your face. They want to get in front of the goalie. Uh, it didn't seem like they could do much of that. Great game last night. Grind it out for the Calgary Flames, who I know you're very high on, as they shut out the Dallas Stars one to nothing. Well, if you look at Calgary, we always talk about their goal scoring, but very impressive for them to get in and grind that out at home. Uh, you would expect it a higher score, but, you know, their goaltender, Markstrom, is so good. I loved him in Vancouver. Um, they also got Tanev there. They've got some good pieces that they've added. Hannafin is their top D. They play physical. They play fast. They play skilled. They've got Sutter, who wants that brand of hockey. And Dallas had 16 shots. I think Dallas should feel really good about themselves the way they played that game because they didn't give up much. They didn't get rewarded in the offensive zone, but that's their style. And they played to their style, which to me in game one should give them a little more confidence. Florida Panthers, President's Trophy winner by a mile, get beat in game one by the Washington Capitals. We've been wondering if the Capitals are aging out, but they look like they were primed and ripe for the playoffs. Doesn't age work well in the playoffs, Bob? I mean, you look at some of these teams that are winning, uh, you stick to what you are and, and, and you roll it up and, and understand your, you know, you see Ovechkin chipping pucks in at the end of the shift. He understands what he has to do. Everyone's got their role within there. You know, Florida hasn't had much adversity down the stretch. It's been a lot of high flying good times. Let's see how game two goes, because if they don't find their game and get that high octane going game going around uh, Washington, uh, then the doubt sets in. So we've seen this storyline before, but I'm not sure how this is going to shake out with the Caps. Another storyline we saw there, TJ Oshie beat Sergei Bobrovsky, which leads to the win. That's par for the course. <laughs> Rangers, Penguins. A lot of people, I'll be on this list after watching Pittsburgh play, thought that maybe the Rangers are going to be able to overpower them. Not so in game one, triple overtime. And the Penguins have to go to the bench for a second goalie in the game, which now they're playing three deep in goalies on the year. But Louis Domingue makes 17 saves after coming on, and the Penguins get the win. After a spicy pork and broccoli dinner at the second period, he gets the nod. He thought they were joking when they came to him. You know what? That was massive for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The way I was so impressed how they got down 2 nothing, Bob, and this is where experience comes in. 2 nothing in the garden, and, you know, you think that they're just going to go out there and hope and you see Malkin go out and have a shift where he stays in the offensive zone and tries to do what he wants to do. Um, you know, the, it's it's the playoffs, and it feels like those guys like Malkin, Crosby, Russ, they understand what they need to do. Uh, they got a, enough goaltending to get it done. They got the bounce at the end, the deflection to, to get the win, and to get <laughs> to get one in Madison Square Garden to start this series really sets the tone. This is only going to get bigger and better. Yeah, no doubt about that. The two games that are being played tonight, second game in the series, both were blowouts the first time around. Let's start with Carolina, Boston. That was a game that was tight until late in the second period, but by the time it was all said and done, Carolina had put five in the back of the net. Can the Bruins come back in this? I don't know if they can. I mean, Carolina has a very disciplined system, and that's been to their credit all the past couple of years. Think of the Islanders of the old where – you know, they, they, they understand it's 60 minutes. And we, we heard this organization talk about a patient game for years and how they, they could learn to win games late, learn to win games different ways. I think Carolina has enough goaltending, has enough discipline, and has enough skill and speed that uh, the Bruins could be frustrated by the 
by the first period of game two. They might already be a little frustrated, uh, but they've got the skill. And I think that, you know, Carolina understands how to how to counter them. And, and, and that's going to be the difference. I don't th- I think Carolina takes this easy. Toronto blows out Tampa in the first game of the series. It resumes. Tampa does have the heart of a champion. I don't expect every game is going to be like game one. Bob, I don't know. I saw game one and I, I saw a lot of correlation between the Blue Jackets and how they played against uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning when they swept them. I, I wonder if Sheldon Keefe talked to his old coach, John Tortorella, a little bit about strategy because I saw it hard, fast, back checking, and that was a priority. Uh, skill when needed, speed through the neutral zone, everybody up on the attack. And I saw Tampa still trying the cutbacks, the cross-ice passes, the one and done in the battle, the look like, oh, we got this. We can get this going. It just didn't seem like it was there. We'll see what happens if they adjust in game two. But if they don't, it's going to be a quick series. All right. Well, that's the playoffs as they stand again. Uh, the second games are starting tonight. So when as soon as you're done listening to us, go right there and watch the Stanley Cup playoff <laughs> games. Uh, the Cannonball is coming up uh, on Thursday night. That is going to be at the downtown Hilton. If you uh, if you would like to find out more about that, you can just go to bluejackets.com. And Jody, it is now that time where, well, we thank everybody for everything that they've done. You know, we, we sit and we start this in the fall and it feels like we did a million of these shows. And then you get to the very last one and you feel like you did about eight of these shows on the year. But, um, you know, I, I thought the players this year were, I thought they were above and beyond. I think we've got, we were lucky enough to get a lot of people to open up this year and give us some great interviews. I think if you're a Blue Jackets fan and if you followed this show this year, if you don't know a lot about the players, you just simply were not paying attention. They were terrific with us this year. I think they appreciated the interaction with us that they couldn't have for the last two years. I think we're seeing in the playoffs too, the fans in the building and the juice it gives everyone. Um, they missed interacting and talking and telling their stories. And, and, and I think, Bob, on this show, we did a great job of getting our guests, um, getting to know our team, but also it was a fun team to cover. So I think we're very fortunate, but also the circumstances provided us with uh, some great personalities, some new personalities, some old ones. And um, yeah, it was, uh, you did a great job. Hey, and you're hosting the Cannonball. So I hope you got your one-liners ready for that uh, big stage you're going to be on. Uh, you know me. Play off the crowd, buddy. Play off the crowd. But, You'll uh, be yeah. ready. Yeah. It'll be worth the price of admission, that's for sure. I wish you could be there, but you're going to be in a much better place, quite frankly, getting ready for your game in St. Louis. So, uh, Well, yeah, I'd love to be there. It's always a great event, a marquee event for the Blue Jackets, and, and um, a great way to interact with some alumni, some hockey management, and a few players might be there. So and, and, so it'll be fun. Yeah, too bad I won't be there, but uh, you know, maybe send me a note. I'd like to see what's happening. All right. Well, make sure you stay with us because during the off season, something big breaks or we've got the draft coming up. There'll be free agency later. Uh, we'll always be there to keep you informed. So just follow, uh, you can follow Jody on Twitter at uh, Shelly Hawk 45. Of course, I'm at Bobby Mac sports on Twitter, uh, bluejackets.com. It'll be covered. If something's happening, we'll be uh, right back with you to let you know about it. So once again, the biggest thank you goes out to you for being there all season long. If you weren't listening to us, there would be no reason for us to do this. So I uh, really appreciate you being there and backing this team. And as Jody said, and he was dead on right. This was a really special team, uh, no matter what the final record was. And it's a team that is moving in the right direction. And it's going to be even more fun to watch 
in the years to come. But that is going to do it. This has been the final edition of the Inside Edge for the 2021-2022 season. I would like to thank Jody Shelley for being with me. Again, thanks to you for being there. Thanks to the people over at 97.1 The Fan. Thanks to our Vice President of Broadcasting, Mark Gregory. And all of the thanks are out, so we're getting out. This has been the Inside Edge right here on 97.1 The Fan.